0: Welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Well, good morning, everyone. I am Pastor Jeremy Bass. For those of y'all who have not met me before, I am the primary preacher of the Vine Service and the pastor of Grow Ministries here at KUMC. It is UM Army Sunday, as Clint said, and we are going to do a send-off prayer at the end of the service. I love UM Army. I went to the June camp. The Lord called me to ministry at a UM Army, and I just really have a heart for how special it is. So I know... For all of y'all going this week, it's going to be a really awesome time that Clint's going to be leading and teaching y'all. Unfortunately, I cannot go this week because it is Erica and mine uh, four-year wedding anniversary. I know. We made it. We did so good. Uh, I feel like now my marriage advice is finally starting to carry some weight after four years. We are uh, right in the middle of our Ecclesiastes series that we have been called an open-handed life. And we're looking at this book of Ecclesiastes that's often difficult to understand and difficult to interpret. And how can we take the wisdom literature of this text and apply it to our lives? As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it's important to understand that within the book of Ecclesiastes, there's two different voices. There's the voice of the teacher that gets kind of the big middle section. And he's the one that says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And then on the bookends we have what we would call the author the person who sets up the critic. And the author is the one who gets the final say in the beginning and gets the final say at the end and how the critic or the author is the one who critiques the teacher. And how the teacher has some truth in him but the author wants us to correct and find how we can take what the teacher says and apply it to our lives and where is the critic missing? And the goal of Ecclesiastes, as I talked about, is to poke and prod at our lives, to poke and to prod at us, to get us to think deeper about our faith. That's the whole point of wisdom literature is to get us to think deeper about the reality of our faith. And so we're going to let it do that to us today. Wisdom literature, for a bit of instances, uh, the book of Proverbs is kind of like your classic inspirational Instagram account. They'll give these, like, really, like, life sayings, like, do this and everything will work out fine. That's sort of what Proverbs is like. Proverbs gives you, like, these quick one-liners that have, like, beautiful text behind them. And it's like, ah, oh, good. I can live my life this way and everything will be fine. Ecclesiastes is kind of like uh, the jaded YouTuber who likes to go and pop the balloon of the peppy Instagram person and just say, no. Let me tell you how life really is that life is meaningless and just very downtrodden, very dour, very down about the reality of life. The Ecclesiastes says life is a lot more complicated than you think, that there's a lot more gray in the world than what you think it is. So today we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. It says this this is the teacher talking. Ship your grain across the sea, and after many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb. So you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the evening, in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. And the teacher is looking at life. And in this passage, what he wants us to get out of this is that life is uncertain. That life is uncertain and the future is uncertain. That life is full of randomness and chance. And that's really the problem that the critic is hearing at, that the the future is filled with uncertainty. Looking again at verse 1, it says this, Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return in your investment. In other words... Send this grain across the sea to see if you'll get money back from it. But you know what might happen? The ship might sink. You may not get as much money from the grain as you think it will. But there's no guarantee that you'll get money back. It's a maybe. It might possibly come back. You know, do you invest in the stock market with a guarantee that you will get a return? Is that how the stock market works? Do you invest in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Dogecoin, and think this will 100% get a return. I remember with this Dogecoin craze, there was a bunch of people that just poured their life savings into this meme cryptocurrency, and then it rose for a bit, and then it just crashed, and when that happened, people's life savings was in shambles. That there's no certainty in investments, that the future is uncertain. And again, in verse 2, it says this, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. The reason that you're supposed to diversify is not because you can get a lot from a different places, but what if six of them fail, you'll have two that will succeed. But the writer of Ecclesiastes, he has this very pessimistic outlook on life, very pessimistic about what the future holds, that you don't just dump all of your money in one area, you diversify Why? Because this will fail, that might fail, that might fail, and you do not know which venture is going to succeed and which is going to fail. That you have to have a backup because life is uncertain and the future is uncertain. Then in verse 3, The clouds are full of water, they pour rain onto the earth. Whether a tree falls to the north or to the south, and the place where it falls, there it will land. Again, he hammers home, life is uncertain. The only way rain will fall is if there's rain in the clouds. A tree may fall to the south or it'll fall to the north. I remember back in Beaumont when we were growing up, uh, it was right when Hurricane Rita hit. And Hurricane Rita really devastated East Texas. And we had this huge oak tree in our backyard And during Rita, the tree fell and crushed our neighbor's garage, like completely leveled and destroyed it. It was this massive oak tree, and it just randomly fell on our neighbor's garage. It could have just as easily fallen on our house and crushed our house, but it didn't. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is getting at, that there is an element of randomness and chance in life and uncertainty that you cannot know and is unable to control. We talked earlier in this series about how life is like heaven, according to the teacher, that it's, it's like vapor, it's meaningless, that just like vapor and smoke in the air, when you try to grab a hold of the smoke, you can't fully grasp onto it. That's what the teacher is trying to get us to look at, is that the future is like trying to grab onto smoke, and that we truly do not know what is going to happen in the future. And if we try to grab a hold of it, We can't grab a hold of it. In the face of the uncertainty, what the critics' response is to do is to just try anyways. To just try anyways. That life is uncertain, but you need to go ahead and try anyways. Looking at verse 5, "...you do not know the path of the wind or how a body is formed in a mother's womb. So you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things." Sow your seed in the morning and at evening, let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. I talked about this in the introduction to this series that at the core of the problem of the teacher that the author critiques is that he misses the character of God, that the teacher, that this sort of what I like to describe is it's almost like the book of Ecclesiastes is like a college class and the professor presses play on a YouTube video and they watch the YouTube video and then afterwards the teacher will then kind of correct and rebuke kind of some of the things that the YouTube video said. And so that's kind of like what the book of Ecclesiastes is framed as. And so here, this is in this YouTube video, he's saying that we cannot know God fully and we cannot know the ways of God But we should try anyways. I said this before that throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher doesn't use the covenant name Yahweh. The personal name Yahweh uses the generic form of God Elohim. The distant God. The God who's far away. The maker. The God whose ways are unknowable. This pessimistic outlook on the character of God... In Ecclesiastes 9, earlier, just to hammer home, you cannot know the future. It is uncertain. 9, verse 11 through 12 says this, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. The fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. Nothing in life is guaranteed, nothing in life is fair. I mean, how many times at work, does, it, does the smartest person, the most competent person at work, are they the ones that always get promoted? Is that how life always works? Yeah, y'all are laughing. I mean, if you, I worked in fast food, and just knowing some of the people I worked with and how they got promoted, it was a shock to me that anyone would promote them. I mean, we know what it's like. It's the nicest person, always the most popular one at school. And the brighter is getting at here is life doesn't always seem to happen the way that we think it should. No one knows what hour will come. Again, just this idea that there is a distance from God, there's sort of an unfairness to life. And an uncertainty to life. And in one sense, he's right. He's absolutely right. We don't know the activities of God in its fullness. We don't know the fullness of how God moves and works. But there is a difference. There is a difference. The critic, I guess, the critic, like I said, as the author critiques the critic, He misses on the character of God, that God is not far and distant, but God is very close. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. There's a Jesus Christ-shaped hole in the middle of Ecclesiastes. All of the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus, and everything after Jesus looks back to him. Jesus is a central figure of our faith. And Ecclesiastes is looking at life and there's a Jesus-shaped hole because the problem of death and the uncertainty of the future means that this life is like vapor, it's meaningless. And in the midst of not knowing what God does, in the middle of life's uncertainties, we can trust the character of God. That we can trust and rely on the character of God. One of my favorite Spurgeon quotes is going to be up on the screen. He says, When you cannot trace God's hand, you can trust his heart. That when we can't see how God is moving and working, what we can fall back on, what we can rely on, is God's character. My in-laws were in town this past week, and Erica wanted me to clean the house to be perfectly spotless. And she gave me this list, uh, a Jeremy clean this house list. And it was very long. It was too long, one could argue. And we were texting back and forth. And she was saying, she was checking up on me. I told her, Erica, all right, I'll clean the list. I'll do it. I'm going to do this. And halfway through the day, she checked up on me. "Uh, Jeremy, have you uh, cleaned yet? It doesn't seem like you're doing enough cleaning yet. And I said, Erica, you need to trust me. You just need to trust me that I'm going to clean the house. And she said, nope, that's the wrong response. Uh, I do not trust you, because there have been multiple times that you said you would clean the house, and then guess what happened? The house did not get cleaned. Um, And I, in my humility, will admit that there have been a few times that I said I would clean the house, and, and then I didn't. Just a few, just every now and then. But I kept saying, Erica, you need to trust me that I told you I'm going to clean the house, therefore you need to trust me that I'm going to do it. And Erica told me, no, I don't trust you. (laughs) And how many times do we do that to the Lord? That we think God is like I am with cleaning. That we think God is going to say he's going to do something, but we really deep down don't believe he's going to do it. We believe he's going to let us down. But what scripture teaches us is that the character of God is one that does not lie. I would sometimes lie about cleaning the house because I didn't really want to clean the house. But scripture tells us that God does not lie. That because the character of God is unchanging, and God is not a liar, that we can put our full trust in him, unlike Erica putting her trust in me. So often, so often, we love to grab a hold of the uncertainty of the future and the smoke that it is rather than trusting and holding on to the character of God. So often we love to hold on to future's uncertainty rather than holding on to God. We hold on to our work, our finances, our wealth, We hold tight to the economy or our politics, and all of this is uncertain. And so we need to have an open-handed life and stop grabbing a hold of the vapor of life and hold tightly to Jesus. Hold tightly to the reality of who Jesus is and his promises for us. You know, one of the things that I'm really struggling with right now is the the future of the church post-COVID. What is the church going to look like? We had a lot of people leave. There's a lot of people that have not come to church. And we're really worried, what is the church going to look like in the future? How are we going to respond? How are we going to do things again? And it's so easy for me to grab a hold of these what-if scenarios, to grab a hold of this is uncertain, so I'm going to try to see if I can control it. or I'm going to try to grab on to the fear And what Jesus tells me over and over and over again is you cannot grab a hold of the certainty of the future. You cannot grab a hold of these fears because you don't know what's going to happen, but what you can grab a hold of is grabbing a hold of me. You can trust me. You can trust me in the middle of all this uncertainty, that we can trust Jesus with our future. That no matter what happens, we can trust Jesus with our future. There's a Christ-shaped hole in the middle of Ecclesiastes that says, yes, the future is uncertain, but we can be certain in a God who overcomes an uncertain future. The New Testament grabs a hold of this idea of the future being uncertain, but it takes it and it twists it just a bit. It says, yes, the future is uncertain, but we know what our destination is and we know how our story ends. In John sixteen thirty three. Jesus says this to his disciples on his sort of uh, final day on earth. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble. In this world life is uncertain. In this world, bad things will happen. But you can take heart that no matter what happens in this world, that I have overcome it. That I am a victorious God. That in the middle of the uncertainty of life, we can grab a hold of this hope. In the book of Revelation, Revelation, We often miss what the overall point of the book is. We often try to use it like a decoder book to figure out what is the mark of the beast? What does this mean? What does that mean? And we miss what the overarching story of Revelation is, which is that Jesus Christ is victorious. That our story is one of victory and not defeat. That that is the overarching point of the book of Revelation. And that is a future that we can grab a hold of. That in a church that was in the middle of Roman persecution, John writes this book and says everything will be okay. That Jesus Christ will one day overcome the devil. That Jesus Christ will put the enemy a footstool at his feet. And that we will reign in victory forever. That is our future. That in the middle of the uncertainty persecuted church... You can have hope in the certainty of Jesus Christ. You can have hope in the certainty of Jesus. And the critic the critic of Ecclesiastes he misses this that yes we don't know all of what God does but God is not unknowable. He reveals himself to us in his desires for us. That death is our ultimate healing that it leads to a resurrection life, a life of fullness, a life of abundance, that we can scarcely imagine how wonderful it is. That is our certain future no matter the uncertainty of life that we are living in. Then In the middle of our uncertainty, we can also know that God is with us. That God is with us. Because the critic is right. Under the sun... Our future is uncertain. Our future is unknowable. I don't know what's going to happen, and you don't either. Uh, By show of hands, how many of you thought that there would be a global pandemic that would uh, seemingly shut down basically everything for a full year and a half? Did anyone uh, out there know that that's what was going to happen? Because if you did, I would love to know what you think the next lottery numbers are going to (laughs) be. None of us knew that's what was going to happen. And so life is uncertain because we don't know what's going to come next. None of us knew that would be the reality, but God knows, and we can trust a God who knows what the future holds and trust that He is going to walk us hand in hand in the middle of all that. I remember back in uh, Kentucky, it was about six months before I graduated, back in January. So this was like three, four months before COVID kind of shut everything down. And I was really trying to start a healing ministry at that church. And the Lord just kept, like, putting up roadblocks for it, just like no one really wanted to do it. It was kind of a, meh, we'll do it, maybe. And I just remember thinking, like, Lord, what is this? Why, why are you putting up so many roadblocks this? Why aren't you helping me in all this? The Lord just told me, like, you're just going to have to trust me. You're just going to have to trust me that I know what I'm doing. And then probably about a month after COVID, it kind of shut Kentucky down. I was praying, and the Lord kind of reminded me, hey, hey, I knew what I was doing and you didn't. That I knew what the future held and that I am with you even in the middle of all that. The lie of the world that we often believe and is taught to us over and over again is that everything happens for a reason. But God doesn't cause bad things to happen. That's a lie straight from the devil. It's a lie of a fallen world that bad things happen, yes, the future is uncertain, yes, but we don't serve a God who causes them. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That God is constantly at work redeeming the bad, redeeming the uncertainty, redeeming all the bad things that happen, that when we look back, we can almost say, oh, that's what the purpose of it was. But that's not how it is. It's rather God takes even terrible situations like death and he brings resurrection out of that. But that is the God that we serve in the middle of all of life's uncertainties. I'm gonna end with this in Hebrews chapter six, verses 18 through 19. This is what scripture says about Jesus. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, and it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, that Christ and the hope that he gives us is an anchor for your soul. And that is what we can hold firmly onto in this life. As I was going through a lot of my anxiety stuff and really the Lord bringing a lot of healing into my life, there was this one point the Lord told me, Uh, Jeremy, you're just going to have to trust me with this. Like, you're just going to have to give this over to me and trust that I'm going to do something with it. And I remember I was praying, and I said, God, I'm just going to be honest. I don't trust you in this. I don't trust that if I give this over to you that you're truly going to do something with it. I don't trust that you're going to heal me with it. And so I want to hold on to it myself. I want to grab a hold on to this because at least when I'm holding on to it, I feel like I am in control And Jesus said, no, you have to give me control. I'll never forget what the Lord said. He said, Jeremy, how can I ever teach you to trust me if you never give me anything to trust me with? If you never give me anything to show you that I won't let you down, how can you ever trust me? And so in the middle of an uncertain future, friends, in the middle of an uncertain life, are we going to live an open-handed life and not try to grab a hold of the smoke and the vapor of the future? Or are we going to give it to Jesus and give it to Him and grab hold to the hope that He puts in our hands? So band and communion stewards, if you all want to come up. Friends, what is your anchor? Is your anchor Jesus? Or is your anchor the smoke and the uncertainty of the future? Is it Christ and his certainty, or are you grabbing a hold of the uncertainties of the future, the vapor, the smoke, all that is in this life? And friends, when Jesus was on this earth, he gave us something that we can firmly hold on to. After the supper was over, he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his friends and he said, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you, whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink, this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by your blood. Pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord. Come and do a new thing here among us today so we can grab a hold of your certainty and your hope for our future. In Jesus' name, amen.